0: Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vakalskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. My guest is the author Lynn Cullen. She is out with her brand new book, The Woman with the Cure. It is available everywhere, and it is a fantastic historical fiction novel about, well, something we've all dealt with, uh, uh... Uh, epidemics, pandemics, lockdowns, and things like that, but it it focuses on Dorothy Horstman, who is a name from history that I was not aware of. And so, Lynn, bringing you into this, Dorothy Horstman, the polio epidemic, Jonas Salk, we all know his name. Why don't we know who Dorothy Horstman is?
1: Well, that is a feature of the time period in which she lived and worked. Um, She had a hard time even making her discovery that enabled them to find their vaccines Um, unfunded, uh, just ignored. Even though she was uh, very instrumental in the field of of polio, she went to every outbreak as part of the Yale Polio Study Unit. She was flown around the world for that. So she was really quite the expert. But still, we don't hear of her and her um, discovery and also how she was the one who gave the say-so, the final say-so for all of us. Uh, kids in the um, 60s who took the uh, oral sugar cube vaccine of Sabin's. Um, We just don't know about her because they just, you know, she was a woman. that that was uh, a lot of her issue, just not taken
0: seriously. What I like, before we get into her actual story, what I found very interesting was when the book took us into the time period where people would go and find that swimming pools were closed, that these lockdowns around the country were happening from this epidemic. Uh, I don't think that... I mean, clearly you weren't alive during some of this time period, so immersing yourself into that, how did you capture the realism? Because I really felt like I was there. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, Well, lots and lots of
1: research and looking at photos, and uh, I grew up in the 60s, um, and I polio was still lingering, uh, the effects of it. I saw uh, kids in my community who, you know, were in braces, you know, had uh, to limp, and um, I'd heard of others who had died, and my own mother was still didn't want us in swimming pools. Um, that fear just lingered, and I remember very well getting my sugar cube vaccine The excitement in the air, and the parents, of course, were really excited, and as a kid, you didn't really quite understand what their enthusiasm was about, but we were all thrilled to line up and and take our sugar cube. We knew we were part of something big. Um, So, I can bring in some experiences and uh, look at pictures, did a lot of research, um, and I have been to many of the places that you see in the book. Um, I always make that a point in my books, to go
0: to everywhere that I have a setting but the the settings go worldwide in this book and you know it's one thing to write historical fiction from a perspective of everything happening in one town in the United States or the town where you live or something that you know but you had to go and experience the time periods of different areas around the world and so when you try to capture the voice of the time just the way people talked it's a heck of a lot different now i think it was probably more formal but when you when you do that did you find some differences around the world how the time periods played themselves out uh, yes, you know, it, I have a lot of scenes in Denmark,
1: which I, fortunately, had just been in in, in 2019 from, for some time. I have a very dear friend there um, who shepherded me around Denmark, and, you know, it was different. Uh, you know, the, we're, we're so used to being in the U.S. that we think the whole world is like the U.S., but it's not. Everybody has different mores and customs and all, and um, I think the U.S. in the 50s was really affected by uh, magazines and radio, and TV was new. These were all having a big impact here that perhaps wasn't as experienced around the world, and one more influence in the U.S. that was different than elsewhere was advertising. I think advertising, uh shaped our culture, like the demands on uh, being, you know, having what your neighbor has and um, that families are everything and, you know, just all the things that we kind of took for granted back then We're shaped by advertisers to sell goods.
0: <laughs> now, getting into Dorothy Horseman herself, child of immigrants, mm-hmm. came from the West Coast, What was her impetus for getting into medicine in the first place? Well, she said in in actual life is that
1: she was inspired by the miracle drugs at the time. She had gone with a family friend to see um, to a hospital, and she saw how a patient was revived um, with you know who was dying with the miracle drug at the time, which were sulfa drugs. And this really resounded with me because my own father had spinal meningitis when he was a 16-year-old, and they gave him up to die. And at the last minute, they said, this is 1932, they said, you know, we have soul for drugs. Let's, Let's try this. And my dad lived, and here I am. So, you know, it just really resounded with me that Dorothy was inspired by the thing that saved my father.
0: How much of an outlier was she in the medical profession at the time? I mean, extreme, right? Yes. Yes. There, she was always the only woman in the room. I love pictures of
1: her at, at, uh, at medical meetings and, you know, uh, staff pictures. There she is. She's six foot one. There she is, towering above uh, a lot of her colleagues,
0: smiling away, the only woman. Well, you mentioned she's six foot one, very tall. That's a very tall person for the time, let alone a female. And so when, when she's going into these places, that's the first thing. I think there's a scene right early in the book where somebody looks at her and she's almost as if saying, go ahead, say it. You can say how tall I am. It's not going to offend me. <laughs> but, right, you know, she she comes in and one of the things I loved is her first initials kind of opened some doors for her in as much as people didn't know she was a female when they hired her, right? Right, right. Um, she got her first, uh, well, her residency after medical school
1: at Vanderbilt simply because the chief of medicine did not realize that D. M. Horseman on this um, resume was was her. He, he saw this great resume and he, he brought her in. And when Dorothy Millicent Horseman showed up, he was very, very unhappy. But somehow she convinced him to stay. So it, it was like that as well. At uh, her next job, her, she got a fellowship at Yale. And when she appeared and talked to the man who was hiring at the moment, and he said, oh, no, I don't know why you came, because I, ha- I, I hired a woman once, <laughs> and she did not work out. Um, we had real problems with her. And Dorothy said, if you had a problem with a man, would you not hire men from now on, and well, he understood that maybe that was a ridiculous argument, so he did take her on, but that 's how it was for her. She had to uh,
0: convince people to take her take her on all the way i 'm chatting with Lynn Cullen about her brand new novel, The Woman with the Cure. It is a is histori- historical fiction, and it 's based upon uh, dorothy horseman 's story diem Horseman and the polio epidemic, all that was going on in the United States at the time. How much, Lynn, of Dorothy's story do you think was made possible from the fact that she was such an outlier in medical school? She was kind of immune to a lot of the criticism, and and it seemed, when I read the book, she just brushed a lot of it off. Was she that strong of a person? Yes. I think she was that motivated of a person because her job at at the Yale study,
1: excuse me, the Yale polio study unit took her around the world to every outbreak, she was like the person uh, in the world to go to outbreaks and she saw polio firsthand and she, she was a doctor too and she pay, uh, treated patients so she saw how horrific it was and you know, and it attacked children and I think this is what motivated her. I think she didn't care if she got praise um, and she would not be put off. She had to figure out how to
0: stop polio? When you sat about to write this, I mean, there's scenes that take place in Manhattan, and you talk about the taxicabs and the buildings and things like that. You know, yeah. we think of Mad Men at the time, I guess, or at least I did when I, I read it as, as New York appears. But when you create this Perfect. for yeah. the histor- for the historical novel, how do you paint the picture in your head and? Do the language and the settings, do they go hand in hand, or how does this little picture come into being? Well, it helps to have been there. I've spent a
1: lot of time in New York, and I did watch Mad Men. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, looking at um, New York as it is, and then what was very helpful for me is looking at the magazines from the time period. I have quite a collection of magazines from the time period, some that have articles about Dorothy in them and about polio but um, just I think that's the best way to recapture the time. We're very lucky from that time period to have
0: that record of how it was. Dorothy lived a long life and I think she she probably lived long enough to appreciate what sexism was but do you think she knew it at the time about or did she just accept that as a uh, just part of the general mores of society at the time?
1: Oh, she was quite aware of it. All the women were quite aware of it. And she confessed to a colleague at later in life. She said, in order to achieve what I needed to achieve, I had to give up something. Women cannot have it all, which really sat me back because here's this woman who changed the world You'd think that she would be powerful enough to have whatever she wanted, but no, she was very conscious. I think that was the only regretful note I ever heard from her in my research is that she could not, women could not have it all. They had to make decisions
0: about their lives. When you examine the historical record for your research, did you find the sexism flowed over into what was actually kept in the record for her?
1: uh yes i I believe so simply that she was not her work is not recorded in very many places it's only lately, and I think Yale is one of the first people to try to bring her to light very recently with um, some articles that they have online that uh, generally or just her accomplishments are not found in many of the books about polio or just very briefly
0: mentioned you've put this story together so beautifully and it reads so well the book is the woman with the cure it is by lynn cullen it is available everywhere it's a fantastic view into the united states and uh, other places of the world back in the 40s 50s and beyond lynn i love this book and i thank you for joining me to talk about it thank you so much this has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, KSCJ.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. This time this is my fight song. Take back my life!